Okay, I'd like to welcome up Nathaniel. Can we give him a big round of applause as he comes up? Nathaniel. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, whilst I get myself sorted up here, you can find a Bible which should be on your seats. Uh, you're turning to page 1218. We're in 1 Peter again this morning. And we're actually going through a series in 1 Peter at the moment called Faithful in Exile. And we're continuing that series, and it's a series that reminds us that, that as Christians, we've got a new home with our Father in heaven, which makes our time on earth something that is somewhat of an exile compared to the home that is prepared for us in an eternity with God. This is temporary now for those of us who know Jesus, and our permanence is going to be in heaven with him. We're looking at Peter's letter to the churches in what we now know as Turkey, and we've done a three-week deep dive on one particular passage, and this passage is titled in our Bibles, Living Godly Lives in a Pagan Society. We're taking these themes and looking at what they mean for us living godly lives in a Western secular society that's increasingly suspicious of religion. This morning I'm going to be talking on the subject of citizens in exile, what it means to be a good citizen as a Christian. That being said, I want to start by asking you all a question. How many of you would openly admit to have breaking the law at some stage? Oh, there you go. There you go. Come on, we've all done it. Let's be honest. Who hasn't been late for an appointment or a meeting or dropping the kids off at school and tickled the accelerator just above the speed limit to make sure you get there on time? In fact, there was a study by BT a couple of years ago, and it said that whilst 98% of people in the UK consider themselves to be law-abiding, most of them admitted to breaking what they would deem as a harmless law. Okay? Now, for most people, it's things like drinking before the age of 18, a lot of people have done that. Or perhaps riding bikes on the pavement if you're not wearing a helmet as well, all against the law. Or perhaps you've just dropped a little bit of litter. Maybe you haven't even meant to, but all of those things were deemed as kind of these smaller, harmless little laws. There are actually some laws in the UK that you're probably not even aware that you're breaking. Did you know, for instance, that there is a noise pollution law in the UK that says your, your household noise can't be above a certain decibel after 8 p.m.? So if you've ever done any midnight DIY or got the vacuum cleaner out at half past eight because you've got people coming over, you might have broken the law. How about that one? There you go, see? Uh, what about this one? Who's ever flown a kite in the park? Yeah, did you know it's actually illegal to fly a kite in public places? Who knew, right? We've been breaking the law all this time. We didn't even know it. There's even one that I found. If you've ever gone to a fancy dress party dressed as a sailor, I'm afraid you've broken the law. Yeah, it's all against the law. <laughs> now, as you can tell, I might have had a little bit of fun in coming up with my, uh, my, my sermon uh, notes this, this week uh, and looking at some of these laws. And uh, I don't know, you know, uh, I will trust Google only so much as to whether they're actual kind of laws that are still in existence. But thinking about what it means to be an exile or a foreigner in a land that's not home to us. I wonder if you've ever broken a law in another country without even meaning to. It can be hard because you can travel to a different country, and that country's got a different set of laws and a different set of authorities, and you can do it without even meaning to. There's a really, um, the, the, the one that people most often use is jaywalking in America. In America, jaywalking is where you cross the street without waiting for a green light or a green man. And that's actually illegal in the US. So if you've ever popped across the road in America because you uh, don't want to wait for the traffic light, then that's kind of an example that's used. Myself, 
Uh, I'll admit, one time I was out in China. It was the first time I'd ever visited China. Uh, and I was doing what every good tourist does, okay? I had my camera, and I was walking around all the tourist attractions, and I was taking photos of all of these things that just looked so different compared to what I was used to, until a very official man in an army uniform came up and pointed at my camera and went like that. And I'll admit, in that moment, I was more than a little bit nervous. So this week, we are looking at how we relate to the authorities over us and how we can be good Christian citizens to the world around us. Now, politics, which you know, we will be skirting around as we do this morning's, uh, this morning's sermon, is increasingly divided and divisive. And we've seen a rise in things like fake news. We've all heard that term, haven't we? And we've seen in our news politicians openly admitting to lying or bending facts for their own gain. And with social media giving a rise to an echo chamber culture in which you can surround yourselves with only the people that believe exactly what you believe and think exactly what you think, we're increasingly becoming disparate in the way that we think about politics. And actually, that means that in preparing a preach like this, it's hard to do it without starting an argument. So I will say from the outset that this preach is not intended to offend you in terms of your political persuasion. There's no need for you to sit there and think, I wonder if he voted Tory in the last election or Labour or which way is he? And actually, it's not my purpose to tell you who to vote for or to argue politics this morning. What I want to do is talk about what the Bible says about these issues, okay? So that's where we are. And what I want to do is is talk about how God would have us act and behave in relation to it, no matter who's in charge. All right? And by the way, as exiles, as people not meant for, for this world permanently, we actually live by a higher authority, don't we? And that's God. So we should expect there to be a little bit of conflict during our time on earth. We should expect to find things in our own country's politics that make us a little bit uncomfortable or even angry. But that doesn't mean that we should act out of frustration or anger. So here's what Peter encouraged the Christians of his day to do in regard to this. You can read along with me. It's going to be on the screen as well or in your Bibles. 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 13, says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So where do we start here? Well, I want to suggest we start by looking at the history. Peter was writing to these churches in Turkey during the reign of a chap called Emperor Nero. And Emperor Nero was the Caesar over the Roman Empire, probably in the early 60s AD for those of you who want to add a timeline to it. Now, Nero was a particularly nasty chap, and he was known for being quite bloodthirsty and for persecuting Christians as well. You see, Christianity represented a real threat to the Roman Empire. Back then, they believed that Caesar, the emperor, was the king of kings, was the ultimate ruler. And there were these guys called the Christians running around saying, no, 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 Caesar's not the king of kings. Jesus is the king of kings. So they were causing quite the stir. And those in authority were particularly suspicious of this group of Jesus followers 
who were talking about somebody better than the emperor. If you disagree with the current politics in the UK, imagine being told by Peter submit to submit to a bloke who was actively persecuting you for what you believed. That's what's going on here. As Peter's writing this letter, we can look at these words and think, oh, cool, that's a tough pill to swallow. But imagine being these Christians in Turkey, being told to respect the emperor that had it in for them. Make no mistake, what is being said here would have been a hard thing to hear and an even harder thing to do. So why was Peter encouraging the church in Turkey to do it? Well, he gives us a clue with the words, for the Lord's sake for the Lord's sake. We're told by Peter that he's encouraging God's people to submit to human authority for Lord's sake. We're told it's God's will that we do right, and in doing so, we silence foolish talk. That's what Peter says. It's important to note that Peter isn't telling us to submit to authority because it will make us look good, or because it will give the church a proper standing in the community. But we're told to do it for God's sake. There's something about honoring authority that's honoring to God. By showing respect, by submitting when we need to submit, we're displaying God's love to those who are over us. To help understand it more, perhaps it's worth talking about the role of authority in general. You see, as a principle and in an ideal world, authority is set up for the good of those under its care. To give you an example, parents have authority over their children as a way of protecting them and teaching them, and caring for them. And that's a proper authority. At work, a manager is set to drive a workforce forward, to look after and care for the staff, and to act for the benefit of the company and the staff who are under their care. That's another form of authority. And so to those charged with leading our country, in principle, they're set up to make decisions that benefit the country and those living in it. Laws are put in place for our protection. Justice systems are put in place to punish those who do wrong. And in this way, we can see a parallel between the authorities now and the first man, Adam, who was given authority by God in Genesis. In Genesis 2, verse 15, we're told the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Those in authority are to work and take care of the things in their control. If you're here this morning and you're a manager at work, or you've got kids at home, then it's worth thinking about what that authority means. That's just not something that happened to you. That's God-given, that authority. You're charged with taking care of the things that are now under your control. As in Genesis, the problem then is sin. We all know the story of Adam and Eve taking the forbidden fruit and sin entering the world. The problem comes when that authority is corrupted by sin. See, people do wrong when they sin. They do things that are against God's will. Systems become broken. Laws become corrupt. And politicians are people too who can be corrupted by sin. And let's be honest on this one. Those put in authority over us are far from perfect. Yet this passage seems to still call us to respect and honor them. As a church, we participate in community Bible reading. We open our Bibles every day in groups as a way of getting into God's Word. And we've been going through a few books in the Old Testament over the last few months, Judges and Samuel and Kings, looking at how leadership came and went for the people of Israel. If you don't know those stories, basically, the people of Israel cried out and said that they wanted uh, somebody to lead them. And initially, a series of judges were put in place, and then a series of kings after that. And If you've been doing this reading, you'll 
you'll see, and one thing's been made remarkably clear to me, is that though God appointed these rulers over Israel, none of them were perfect. Even David, who we've just finished reading about, he's called a man over God's own heart. But when you read his story, he makes poor decisions. He was prone to sin, and he got things wrong. So if our biblical examples of leadership are prone to these things, then why do we expect better from our politicians now? They're put in charge of us, and there's an element of that which is for our good and a part of God's plan. Paul actually said similar when writing to the church in Rome. In Romans 13, he put it this way. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They're God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is why you must pay your taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their time to governing. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So, We've read two passages, one from Peter and one from Paul, and I think the Bible's pretty clear on this one, and we should be as well. Do we think that our political systems are outside of God's control? By no means. This is a gospel matter for Peter and for Paul here too. By respecting those who govern us, those who lead us, whether politically or within BCP or at work or our parents, we're respecting God as well. We're doing it, as Peter said, for the Lord's sake, And this should be helpful to us because when we obey the laws that are put over us, we aren't doing it for fear of being arrested or how we might look, though admittedly that might be part of it. But we as Christians can say that we're doing it for Jesus. So obeying the speed limit and paying our taxes and making sure people aren't being shortchanged and being good neighbors by keeping the vacuuming to sociable hours. In this sense, they're all ways of honoring God and being good Christian citizens. There's something about following these laws that represents a greater obedience to God in what we're doing. When you go to America, you know now not to jaywalk. So as Christians in exile, being law-abiding is a respectful way of showing God's love by submitting to that authority. We might not agree with it all, but there's a humility and obedience that speaks volumes to the rest of the world. Being a Christian citizen means being someone who is full of honor and respect. As Peter says, in doing so, we'll be silencing ignorant talk. Good citizenship counters false charges made against Christians and shows the gospel in action to everyone else. As Christians, we're not here to be troublemakers. We're not here to be the outspoken enemies of the state or walking around with a superiority complex because we can do what we want because we've got God on our side. We're here to be God's witnesses, salt and light to the world around us. A people who are here to bless and honor and love and encourage and pray and build up and respect. And in doing so, we speak volumes to anyone else who sees us. So what do we do if we don't agree with some of those things that authorities say and do? This 
preaching series is loosely based on a book called Evangelism as Exiles by a guy called Elliot Clark. And if you've been around for the last few weeks, we've been quoting from it fairly often. And in this book, Elliot Clark writes, and I've slightly paraphrased here for REs this morning, as we face increasing opposition, we can either turn up the volume on our own vitriol, or we can follow the instruction of Peter and put aside all malice and slander. We can approach our enemies with gentleness and respect, and if we do, we'll have an incredible opportunity for the gospel. If Peter could call his readers to honor Caesar, or that Nero chap we were talking about, do you really think we can get away with dishonoring our own authorities? The time is coming and is here now where the world won't listen to our gospel simply because they respect us. However, they might listen if we respect them. In humility and respect, we show genuine concern for our opponents, even those responsible for our exile. We do so because we seek their good more than we seek our rights. We live with respect for all because we desire all to be safe. I think Elliot Clark there put it perfectly. This for us is a gospel issue because we want to see people saved. As I said earlier, as Christians, we're bound to come up against elements of law and authority that we might find uncomfortable. As our laws and our country is becoming increasingly secularized, we might feel the pinch as Christians. There'll be things that aren't as God would have them, approaches to social justice that we just don't agree with, decisions that are made, that funding cuts that might uh, marginalize poor. And there's things that will want to cause us to get vocal. Still, we have a responsibility to act respectfully in what we're doing and honor Jesus with our actions most of all. So we're supposed to honor and respect those in authority. Does that mean we should blindly follow them, no matter what they do and no matter what they say? By no means. And this is where we go to Jesus. See, when Jesus came to earth, he didn't come to overthrow a government. But he came to do the will of the Father, and it's here that we find our mandate. Jesus was uncompromising on declaring truth, on saving and healing and winning people for himself. And this in itself brought contempt from the ruling authorities of Jesus' time. However, Jesus didn't set out to upset them. His mandate wasn't to come down to earth to cause trouble, but to honor his father and submit to the greatest ever authority. And that's God. And we've got to remember that while we respect and honor those in authority over us, we don't worship them. There's only one ultimate ruler who's deserving of our ultimate worship. And we sang about him very helpfully this morning. Jesus, Jesus, no other name but Jesus. He's the one that we worship and honor most of all. The Bible calls him the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he has defeated sin and death. He's Jesus, and he's above all, seated at the right hand of the Father forever. So it's here that we find our ultimate mandate. And this is the bit that makes being in exile on earth uncomfortable for us. Because while we're called biblically to respect and honor those in authority, we have a higher calling to do what Jesus did, to preach the gospel, to stand up for injustice, and to bring about God's kingdom to BCP and beyond. Peter's words here in in 1 Peter 2 are clearly telling us to submit to authority, but they're also just as clear in verse 17 that we're to fear God. That's what it says in verse 17. Ultimately, while we have earthly authority to submit to, we shouldn't fear it. That honor belongs to God only, the ultimate authority. Christian history is full of people who were martyred and imprisoned and punished for doing what was right by God at the expense 
of the authorities. But the distinction needs to remain clear here through Jesus' mandate that these people weren't troublemakers, but they were determined to preach the gospel and speak up for gospel issues no matter what it means. There are many examples of Christians past and present who have been imprisoned or worse for what they believe. In doing what they're doing, do they lack respect by Peter's definition? Not at all, because their heart was not for trouble, but for God. We must see the distinction, something that Jesus models for us. Jesus himself paid the ultimate price at the hands of the ruling authorities. He was sentenced to death on a horrible, tortuous cross. And you'd have thought that the king of kings could have miraculously worked it so that he could have got out of it, so that he didn't have to do that. But he was obedient to his father, even to death on a cross. And he was obedient for us. As an interesting aside, by the letter of the law, the cross represented a failure of government, even at the time. As under the Romans' own laws, Jesus shouldn't have been executed. But even in the failure of government, the government of the time unwittingly served God as Jesus rose again and defeated sin and death for us. That's why we're here this morning. We don't gather together every Sunday at 10.45 to discuss politics or financial policy. We come together for Jesus. He's what we're here for. He's given us freedom to live now as exiles while we wait for our eternal home in heaven, something that's only possible because of what Jesus did. So ultimately, what does it mean to be a citizen in exile? What does it mean to be a good Christian citizen? It means showing honor and respect, being a model citizen in the community, but being totally and utterly uncompromising when it comes to what we believe and the gospel that we preach, no matter what it means. And it's here that we find our distinction. It's on eternal matters that we should make our stand, rather on the laws of the day. Governments will come and go, elections will come and go, and we've seen that far too often over the last few years, but we, our ultimate authority is in the one that's eternal, the one who can never be dethroned. We fear that one who is eternal, whose authority is established forever and ever and ever. And for what it's worth, I actually believe that we can still show honour and respect in the way that we go about choosing God's way over the world's way when it's appropriate. Firstly, it takes wisdom to know when to speak up and then respect in the way that we do it. I wonder if you've ever, you know, one thing that we believe in here at Gateway Church is accountability and discipleship, the way that we come alongside as a community to bring each other closer to Jesus. And we do that by pointing out things in one another that aren't as godly as, as uh, are intended. And I wonder if you've ever had a friend tell you something that you don't particularly want to hear Maybe they've taken the time to point out a sinful behavior in you. Might be your husband or your wife who said, and that's not particularly a godly way to behave, you know. They've observed something in your life, perhaps caught you in a lie, or just pointed out that your flies are undone or something. See, in pointing out the incorrect behavior, there's a way of doing it that passes judgment and scorn and ridicule, and there's a way of doing it that still respects the friend that you're trying to help. And I think that's what Peter's getting at here with this distinction. We're to show honor and respect. And there's a way that we can carry ourselves in doing it while we can still remain totally and utterly uncompromising on what we believe. So we're told by Peter to respect those in authority, to submit. But Peter goes even further in who and how he tells us to respect. 
in verse 17, and it's going to come up here again behind you. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. That's us. Fear God. We've talked about that. And honor the emperor. In this way, honor and respect aren't just things that we're told to do. This isn't me getting up this morning, give you a tick list of things you've got to achieve this week. Oh, as if my week wasn't busy enough. Now I've got to honor and respect everyone as well. Showing proper respect and honoring everyone, standing together with our brothers and sisters in Christ to be a force for good in the world is something that is a characteristic of a good, godly Christian. It's not something that we have to add to our to-do list. It's something that should be in us as we're being made more like Jesus. So whether it's God or the emperor, the prime minister, the leader of the local council, your neighbor, the person you sit next to at work, the people at the school gate, or even the person you're sat next to this morning. You can give them a glance if you want. What Peter's calling out of us here is godly character. It's more than just a tick list of things to do or a polite nod to the person in the street the next time you walk past them. This is a way for us to live with a culture of honor and respect no matter who we're in front of or who we're talking to. By living in a way that honors God, we honor each other and we honor others as well. We're to be light in the way that we live, the way that we talk, the way that we love one another and the way that we love those who are around us. As a Christian, I wonder how often you've, said, you've heard it said, there's just something different about you. I can't put my finger on it. There's something different about you. There should be Christians. We're called to honor and respect and love where no one else will. And that's what Peter's talking about here. We're not here to be the troublemakers. We're here to be salt and light to the world. Actually, I'm proud that this is what we're becoming known for at Gateway. When guests walk in, they say, I love how friendly this church is. That's not something that we've sat down and decided, right, we need to be 10% friendlier next week, okay? We just do it because we love each other. We love being here and we want to love the world. And in doing so, we display something of God's kingdom to other people. And that's what Peter's talking about. I actually have a few practical ways, that being said, that should help us to be more of a light in the world that we live in. The first of these is to be helpful, is to be helpful. Being part, uh, part of being a good Christian citizen is the way that we roll our sleeves up and have a positive influence in the world around us. I honestly believe as good Christians, it's not for us to be the keyboard warriors who take to social media every time something happens that we don't agree with, but it's for us to roll our sleeves up and get on with the work of fixing it and redeeming it. We're to have a positive influence on our own communities. The church should be known for supporting local causes, being a support to the poor, whether that's spiritually or emotionally or physically. I'm actually not going to say too much more on this one because I preached on it just a few weeks back. So if you weren't here or fancy a refresher, then you can just head to the Gateway Church website. I preached about it on the 6th of January, so go and have a listen. But we talked all about all of the things that we're already doing at this church to support the poor and all the things that we could be doing this year as we're faithful to what God has called us to do. So please do go and have a listen. But I honestly believe Gateway Church, we're here to be a blessing to the community that we're called to serve and live in. Remember that mandate that was given to to Adam to take care of the Garden of Eden. We're to take care of BCP. We're to be salt and light to the place that God has put us. And there are many, many ways at Gateway Church that are already doing that. And if you want to know more about that, go and have a listen to that preach from a few weeks ago. 
The second way that I believe that we can be good citizens in exile here on the earth is to pray for and connect with those that are in authority over us. One way of respecting and submitting to those over us is by connecting with them and praying for them. Paul said the same thing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2. He said this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful, quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We should pray petitions and prayers for kings and all those in authority. That's what Paul says to Timothy. And that's a brilliant way that we can start to be a positive force on where we live whilst we're here in exile. I'm actually quite uh, regularly in touch with my local MP. Um, Emma always laughs when we get a letter through the door. You can always tell because it's on proper fancy paper, right? So you know when the MP's written to you because it's all embossed at the top. Very nice. Um, but uh, I've been writing to him regularly uh, for a number of things. Firstly, I tend to kind of get a, a bit of paper out and write to him whenever um, there's something happening nationally that I would just like to, to share my, my opinion on. MPs, you see, have to be uh, representative of the areas that they're serving. So as a resident in that area, sometimes I get in touch and say, hey, by the way, there's this issue coming up. Uh, and I just want to let you know that this is, this is kind of my thought on it. And at the end of all of my letters, I always ask him how I can be praying for him. And every time he responds, he always responds in this very official paper. And then at the bottom in pen, he writes a bullet point list of things I can be praying for. And it's great. So I've been praying for him and checking back in, things that I can be praying for. And it's actually been really, really lovely to get to know him. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed that, that process. And it might be a little bit silly to kind of get a bit of paper out and write to the MP, but at the same time, that guy knows I'm actively praying for him. Do I agree with absolutely everything he does? No. Would I vote the same way that he votes in Parliament? Not always. Do I respect him? Yes. And will I keep praying for him? Absolutely, I will. You can be a good Christian citizen by engaging with politics in the right way. Vote when you have the chance. And if you see things you don't like, social media shouldn't be your first port of call. God should. Pray. Pray for our leaders. Pray that God's will will be done in this country. And once you've done that, write to them to tell them that you're praying for them. It's there that you can make your points with respect and honor. I've been surprised by the success I've had in talking to my local MP about God. Genuinely surprised at the bullet points that come back with prayer items. And it's been my pleasure to pray for them. And I'm going to continue to do so. So if you want to do the same, I would encourage you to do it. And finally, one thing that we can do to be good citizens in exile is to hold fast to the truth of the gospel. Elliot Clark again said, when we seek to do evangelism as exiles we already have a really hard sell. We're trying to convince the world that a Jewish carpenter was God's son, come from heaven to die for our sins. He was buried and three days later, he rose from the dead and now reigns over all. Not only that, we're also calling them to join us as social outcasts. We must, must we also try to persuade them about matters of history or geopolitics? Do we really want to argue for our opinion on the environment or economics or Brexit for that matter? You see, that doesn't mean we shouldn't speak up when we see evil or injustice. Of course we should. 
but it means that our norm, our starting point, should always be Jesus. We're arguing these things as gospel issues rather than political issues. Do you see the difference here? Rather than talking about the treatment of immigrants or our foreign policy as a failure of government or the failure of politicians, we can talk about how Jesus loves all and calls all, to, calls all of us to welcome the foreigner. When we see injustice, it's not a chance to sling mud and apportion blame. It's a chance to talk about the one who welcomes all who believe in him and who will be the perfect judge to punish injustice in the end, either through his blood on the cross or an eternity in hell. As Elliot Clark goes on to say, we must learn to triage our agendas. We must prioritize our preaching. My friends, we need to be quick to talk about Jesus and slow to criticize others. This is how to show love and honor and respect. Let's show ultimate respect and fear to the one who has saved us and made a way for us to be with him forever. Jesus came to earth, lived the perfect life, and died and rose again that we might have freedom to live now as followers of him and children of God. Let's be a people who talk about that rather than heading to social media the next time we see something we don't like. As Christians in exile, we'll always be able to point to elements of the world, elements of politics, elements of law, whatever else it might be, that aren't how God would have them. But we've got a greater hope that one day things will be permanently perfected. We're exiles here and heaven is our home. And we have hope in the home that is prepared for us. So when you feel uncomfortable, show respect and pray and have hope in an eternal future where the king of kings who loves you will never be dethroned. Great. Well, I'm going to pray for us and then Dan's going to come back. Oh, Lord, I, I just want to thank you for the mandate and the um, example that you set for us. That we're not here to be trouble for the world. We're here to be a blessing to the world and we're here to tell the world about the best news possible, and that is you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be uncompromising, bold and full of courage when it comes to talking about you to this world, to being a light and to be an example to the world around us. But Lord, I pray that you would help us, help to set it in us, that we would always do so with respect and love and honor, and that it would be in this way that we could show the rest of the world just how much you love them as well. Lord, would you set us apart Continue to make us more like you and help us to talk often about you and what you have done for us, saving us and winning us and preparing a place in heaven for us forever, a place that will be perfect and a place where you will be on that throne for eternity. Lord, we want to make much of you Help us to do so. In your name I pray. Amen.